as I get to the entry door, I literally have to step over this blood pool that's <laughs> for me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this, yeah, this is serious. Listen up, gang. Lucky Gunner has both fantastic content and great prices on ammo. Enjoy the convenience of online purchase and crazy, super fast shipping. Experience why Lucky Gunner is one of our favorite spots on the Gunternet. Get-asp.com forward slash Lucky Gunner. And while you're there, you'll find Magtech ammunition. Magtech is the exclusive range ammo for the active self-protection team, and we are grateful for their commitment to quality and support. You can buy Magtech ammo at the Lucky Gunner link. Remember to tell them that you heard about them on the Asp podcast. Alrighty, gang, welcome back to the Actor Self-Protection Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Mike Wooliver, and I am your favorite former fit. With us today, a gentleman who wrote out, uh, reached out to me um, on email and said, hey, I don't know if this story is worth telling, but here it is, and sure enough, it's worth telling, which is why he's here. His name is Abraham, and he is from Pueblo, Colorado. Abraham, uh, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Mike. I always, I always appreciate watching your videos. I appreciate that. I, hey, if it weren't for you watching and listening, um, I'd have to go do a real job. So thank you for doing that. Uh, no <laughs> so you told me before we started, you are a certified inpatient pharmacy tech. I don't know that I know what that means. Tell me what that means exactly. What do you do? Uh, basically, I am the, I handle compound dispense and uh, make uh, medications uh, specifically for patients who are uh, admitted in the hospital. So uh, no outpatient type of uh, communication uh, in that aspect. Uh, it's simply just strictly hospital. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good job. Um, so talk to us, uh, before we t- talk about your incident, as you know, I like to learn uh, as much as I can in real time along with the audience about what happened. So before we get into that, why don't we start with your um, self-defense background? If you watch active self-protection videos, um, most people who do are at least cognizant and aware of self-defense issues. So had you done any sort of training, uh, any sort of uh, firearms training martial arts, anything like that prior to your incident? Well, um, I do have a little bit. I have about, uh, I, I can't really gauge years or time. I have an orange belt in Kempo Karate. Okay. <laughs> so it's uh, maybe maybe a year or so, uh, but I surprisingly have retained a lot of knowledge re- regarding that. It was very fun. Wish I can get into it again once I find the time. Uh as far as like firearms, uh, I didn't. I really didn't get into firearms until like my early thirties. Uh, I'm forty right now. It's never too late. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it was about that time where I started watching active self protection regularly. And uh, from that point on, uh, I just kind of started doing a, a little bit every day to try and be. Uh, how do how do you say? Uh, just a little more proficient uh, over time. I, I got me a Mantis X10 nice. and used it for dry fire practice. Uh, I try to actually go out to the range uh, twice a month at least just to kind of get the physical practice in. Uh, and other than that, my first aid skills don't really have any certifiable criteria other than like required uh training i need to learn as a as a hospital worker so uh, but that's about it as far as i can say yeah and that may not sound like a lot to you abraham but um that's that's probably a lot more than the vast majority of people do uh 
even people considering their own self-defense don't get out to the range that often probably and don't have any martial arts. So uh, well done for, for that. And I hope you continue your training into the, into the future. So, so your, your incident happened about how long ago? Uh, August 13th. And I, uh, that was this year or okay. well, 2022. Yeah. Last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember it because it was, uh, it was the second of a, a four day weekend, uh, conveniently. And uh, plus, the, the the reason the date is fresh in my mind is not too long ago, I ended up getting the repl- the police report for the incident, mainly to uh, get reimbursed for the the tourniquet I used. Uh, I know that uh, Dark Angel Medical has like a kit for life policy. If you use any other things for uh, you know life saving incident, they replace it for free, which is pretty nice. But uh, you know, not here to plug in an advertisement. So <laughs> no, it's all good. All good. So you apply to tourniquet. That's what we call foreshadowing, ladies and gentlemen. So you have a little mm. glimpse. It's, it'll keep you interested and keep you listening. So <laughs> this incident happened um, where you live, uh, and it, I, I tell I've told the story I think before on the show um, about the, there being a domestic violence incident. Uh, the the apartment right beneath mine, and my I was a young federal agent and really wanted to get. Um, this young lady help, but didn't want to get directly involved if I could avoid it. And as it turns out, I couldn't help but get directly involved. Uh, it's, it's something you have to consider carefully because the, the people you're interacting with for good or ill um, are potentially going to remain your neighbors. So it's something you got to consider before you jump in is do I want to get involved in something where I'm going to have to see this person potentially every day until I move. So uh, mm-hmm. just just walk us through um, that day. What time of day was it? And, and talk to us about what you heard and saw. Okay, starting from the beginning, uh, <laughs> I was I was in the process of actually setting up uh, a doorbell camera and a little security system that I got. And below me, my neighbors, um, male and female, they uh, were arguing, and, and I can hear them. And it wasn't it wasn't uncommon. I mean, it it happens a few times a month, and right. you know, nothing's really. It, it doesn't doesn't stand out to me too much. I'm just like, okay, yep, they're fighting again. So, uh, it, it seemed pretty like a pretty typical evening. It was about ten o'clock or so, mm-hmm. uh, and then something strange happened. Like I heard, like I could literally hear them running from the bedroom because uh, I, I live in an upper uh, level of a of a duplex, and the late the apartment layout is basically the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I could literally hear them run. And I was like, well, that's weird. Like, is is she chasing him out of the uh, apartment again? Because she's done that before. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, usually it ends up in, as, a, you know, an argument outside. So, of course, being the uh, curious and uh, kind of nosy person I am, mm-hmm. I, I was like, I was like to, you know, just sneak, sneak a peek out my windows just to make sure things aren't getting too crazy or at the very least uh, some mild entertainment i know it sounds terrible but <laughs> yeah that's that, that's why i spectate other people's drama because i don't like any of my own sure uh, <laughs> but um as i was uh you know looking out and trying to listen i hear my neighbor and she is yelling but not in a uh, like an argumentative way like they were fighting mm-hmm. earlier but it was more of like a an urgency uh i could see and by the way, uh, her daughter, her daughter's boyfriend and her mom have been outside this whole time. I'm guessing maybe waiting for things to calm down mm-hmm. 
between the two. And I, I, I could see her daughter on the phone. And I'm like, okay, I think I need to take a closer look here. I open up my apartment door. And it looks outside uh, into a, uh, an entryway. You know, my, 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 goes, my entrance goes down the stairwell. Her goes up the stairwell. It meets in the middle. And, you know, there's that uh, main entrance. Right. And I could see uh, her daughter's boyfriend shirtless leaning over somebody. I have no idea who, who is sitting there with, or what. I, I take a look, and I notice it's uh, my neighbor, not my neighbor's boyfriend, but my neighbor. She's uh, sit, sitting down. Um, and at this point, I'm like, uh, what's going on? You know, I actually uh, audibly say it. I don't get a response. And then shortly after that, I can actually see a pool of blood starting to form on the concrete steps that she's sitting on. Mm. So then I just straight out ask, I was like, do you need a tourniquet? And then that's when I finally get a response. She's like, yes, if you have one, please. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm getting involved. <laughs> right, right. So real quick, was she was she that sort of matter of fact about it? Or was she, was she agitated? Um. She was. She was. Um, she was very matter of fact. Hmm. Um, the little bit I know is that uh, she does work in the health health field also. Um, so I imagine she has a, some knowledge of the seriousness of her condition. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I just offered to help. Uh, okay, I got. I got to do this. Uh, and it's strange because, and there was a, a podcast episode that just aired not too long ago. Um, you know, uh, I think he mentioned about how time kind of slows down mm-hmm. when yeah. you're kind of going through that. And that's, it's almost like what happened to me. The first thing I thought about was what uh, the acronym John always talks about in his videos, TABIFs. Right. I was like, okay, well, I want to help my neighbor, but I don't know if this assailant is out there i mean obviously she was attacked it didn't look like there was uh like like an accident or something right and so i was like okay uh i need to make sure there's no threat out there because if i'm gonna help i gotta be sure that i'm safe as well otherwise i'm not i'm gonna be contributing to an emergency instead (laughs) right that's actually well put because i think it's just like anything else if you were if you rolled up on an accident scene um you know, you would you would do your best to make sure there aren't cars speeding towards you, or the car wasn't about to catch on fire before you could administer aid. You have to make the scene as safe as you can. You're not the police, but still, um, good thinking to not just rush down there and, and disregard the idea that you could be attacked possibly uh, for helping out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, for for all I know, that dude's like just hovering out there, and I'm like, okay, well, I got to make sure the area is safe, so. Uh, both by proximity and functionality, I reach for my uh, AR-15. Uh, and by practicality, I meant I, the only reason I got it was not only was it because it was near me, but because it had a had a light on it. I, I haven't got a pistol-mounted light, but you know, as far as like being a private citizen, I feel like I don't really need one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, but yeah, my uh, my rifle had one, so I was like, okay, well here, here I go. I turn on my light. I chamber around and, you know, I'm just, I'm just making sure that as I'm going down these stairs, you know, there's nobody waiting for me or 
ready to do her further harm. Now, at this point, do you have any indication as to how she received this injury? You didn't hear any shots or or hear any screaming or whatever. Like you really don't know why it is she's bleeding so badly. Correct. I did not hear any shots. Uh, I didn't hear any kind of screams uh, other than what I think was yelling when they were running out the door. Right. But they, they, uh, they've been arguing. So it's reasonable to assume that somebody was assaulted rather than it was some sort of accident where she a piece of glass cut her in the leg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that's definitely my more of my train of thought when I was walking by. Gotcha. Um, I uh, as I get to the entry door, I literally have to step over um, this this blood pool that's <laughs> for me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this. Yeah, this is serious. Uh, so I'm making my way to my vehicle. I do have my IFAC uh, trauma kit in the trunk of my car. Now, I the reason it's in the trunk of my car is because uh, the day before, me and my younger brother Aaron had a gun shooting, and I just hadn't taken the time to unload everything yet. So, right. um, so there's there's no uh, supposed perp in sight. I get to my car and get my trauma kit out, and I'm able to make my way back to my neighbor. And I apply a tourniquet. It's a, it's a combat application tourniquet. Mm-hmm. Uh, her daughter's boyfriend was was uh, holding the wound, so I had so I opened the tourniquet to wrap it around the limb so that he didn't have to you know relieve any pressure. And give us give us again the location of the wound. And it, could you see the wound, or was she wearing pants covering it, or what was that situation? Um, the wound was on her left arm. Okay, and it was uh, kind of uh, towards the center of her. Forearm, but maybe a little bit closer towards the wrist. Okay, bleeding pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and after the fact, I learned that her uh, radial artery was severed. Oh boy, completely, completely. Yeah. Um. So I know the I know the rule is high and tight, roughly. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I do I do apply the tourniquet, but it uh, I do it on the uh, high part of her forearm. Um. I know some people might think that maybe I should have went to the lower part of the upper arm, like below the bicep. Um, but it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I hear different things. I, I'm All I know is I felt confident enough to apply a tourniquet, and I hope I made the situation a little better at that right. point. <laughs> yeah, the way the way I was trained um, was high, we could call it a higher die. So if it's on the arm, I'm putting, I'm putting that tourniquet all the way up under the armpit. Um, oh, just the okay. way I was yeah. trained, I don't. I'm not an expert. I don't claim to know more than the average person about tourniquet application. But mm-hmm. I think the point is, once you've applied it, if it stops bleeding, then good to go. You know, either way. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we do uh, we do computer learning uh, as part of our employment training uh, regularly, not just once at orientation, but like throughout the year, right? Just to kind of stay, uh, you know, in practice. And that was. Uh, I do remember high and tight was like the rule of thumb that they would always uh, display in those uh, uh, lessons that we did. So that was, that was the first thing I jumped to. I'm like, okay. Now, so before we continue, have you ever had any practical exercise type training with a tourniquet where you've actually applied a, a training tourniquet to someone? No. Okay. It's relevant. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I seen, I had uh, watched like, Several videos. I know, like, uh, Active Self Protection has had a couple of videos, not to mention the little training videos at work on how to apply tourniquets. So, I mean, I 
in no way am I saying that replaces actual practice. But as I said, like I felt confident that I could apply it correctly and help this person. Yeah, and I think if you if you ever if you hand the average person a tourniquet and say put this on somewhat effectively, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that maybe maybe if they had a, a belt or something they could try to do it, but I don't think the average person would be able to just intuitively figure out how a tourniquet works. I don't think it's intuitive. So the fact that you had at least the mental reps in and and the the visual training um, enabled you to do what you did. Yeah, you know, and I, I like to believe that did help out and uh, contributed to. My, my ability to act. I think, I think part of the reason I even decided to get involved was that I kind of knew what to do. <laughs> like, right. you know, be, being a guy, I saw a problem. I was like, I can fix this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, uh, yeah. So um, I get the tourniquet applied, uh, put it on there. Of course, when I, when I put it on, I uh, get, get the, the slack, tightened and of course her, her first instinct is to moan in pain yeah it hurts she, yeah she she was like ow i was like yeah i know it's gonna hurt and then at that point i asked her i was like well okay uh what happened uh, and by the way yes i i put my rifle uh onto the side because i don't have a sling and if i what if i did have a sling and wasn't wearing it i know john would you know be upset yes good to know <laughs> yeah um so yeah i have my rifle on the side and after I play it, you know, I asked her what happened. Um, the story she tells me is that uh, her and her boyfriend were arguing and some person just trespassed into their apartment. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she chased this person out along with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was chasing after this guy. Um, that, makes zero, that makes zero sense, but go ahead. Yeah, um, not not before this intruder took uh, took a swing at her with what was either a knife or a box cutter. Um, obviously, it was a pretty sharp instrument. This guy runs off. Her boyfriend chases after him. What a hero! And yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's left there uh, almost bleeding to death and in, literally in front of her family. And I'm like, okay. So, um, I guess maybe I could do something <laughs> as far as the direct incident and my experience that night, that's kind of about where it ends other than, you know, police finally arrive. And yes, I don't have my gun on me right. <laughs> or holding it when they arrive. Cause you know, I know that's just a recipe for disaster. Should, should they mistake me for uh, an assailant? Um, yeah, he he asks like, "Oh, whose rifle is this?" Like, "Oh, that's mine." And mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's procedure. Like, you know, he picks it up, removes the magazine, unchambers around, right. hands it back to me. He's like, "All right, there you go." And I can understand, you know, you know, safety of the scene. I get it, no problem. And EMS finally arrives. Um, at that point, I'm like, "Okay, they're wheeling her off." Guess I guess I go back to doing what I was doing, and that's about. That's about it. <laughs> so let's let's talk really quick about when the when the police arrive. I think it's important, especially because you, as you said, you had a firearm with you, not on you, but with you. Um, do you did you know for a fact someone had called the police uh, as all this is going on, or did you call them, or how did that happen? Oh yeah, no, um, I believe uh, uh, when it first happened, uh, her daughter was on the phone with police, and I think it was her mom also that was on the phone with dispatch. Uh, I remember 
I remember them trying to zero in on the location of the emergency. Of course, um, her mom, she was getting upset, thinking it was like, okay, you guys don't know where you are. You know, my daughter's bleeding to death. And I, I can understand her panic, but at the same time, I'm like, this isn't helping. Just let's all just focus on what needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, yeah, yeah. we say all the time that calm is a superpower and I really mean it when I say that if you're, if you're a self defender uh, and you're responding to your, your own need for defense or someone else's or a medical emergency, uh, remaining calm is critical, but sometimes that means remaining calm in the face of other people who are decidedly not calm, but that's okay. Uh, as long as you're, you're the one with a level head, you know, all that crazy stuff can be going on around you and you, you can keep a level head and do what needs to be done. It sounds like that's what you did. Um, so I, I know the audience is dying to know, uh, uh do, did we ever figure out who this <clears throat> random stranger was who ran into her apartment, cut her and ran back out again? Uh, short answer. No. Well, okay. uh, according to the police report, uh, her boyfriend's listed as a potential suspect. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, very likely. Yeah, and of course, uh, he, uh, this person's still hanging around, and you know nothing ever really became of the investigation after that. Um, yeah, needless to say, he disappeared for a little while and never visited her in the hospital after the incident, and then all of a sudden he was back. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's a, it's it's one of those mysteries of life. Um, why people in abusive relationships um, a stay in them and b defend and try to protect the person who's who's beating them on a regular basis. The my neighbor incident that happened this is back in San Diego, back in the late nineties. Uh, you know they they fought constantly, uh, and you know I don't know if that's a learned behavior or something you grew up around, so it becomes sort of normal. Um, to to have these constant fights and arguments, but uh, if you're listening to this and you um, you find yourself in a position like this, and it's not always a woman, sometimes it's the man. It just just depends. Um, do your best to get yourself a- out of that situation because nobody can do it but you. Nobody can do it for you. Uh, there's there's resources, there's law enforcement, and there's depending on where you are, there's other resources in your community you can reach out and ask for help and get in, get in a, an exit strategy, a plan in place to get out of there. The, the incident that I was involved in, the police were just taking a very long time to respond and he was actively beating her and throwing her against a wall. I could hear her and her little, I think about a five year old son screaming and yelling. And I went down and knocked on the door finally. And he came to the door agitated. And then I got her out and sat her on the stairs along with the kid. And he ended up um, asking me, had I called the police? And I said, yeah, I, I do. I think everyone in here has called the police by now. It was very loud. Everyone could hear it. And it was clear you were injuring someone and he made some threat on the way out. You better watch your back rookie or something like that uh, to me because I called the cops and then he fled the scene. And as it turns out, I've told the story before, but as it turns out, uh, she did the right thing and got the heck out of Dodge. I think she left the state, but she got out of there um, cool. almost immediately, took her son with her and uh, could not be reached as a um, – as a victim slash witness in the case, when it came time to go to trial for this guy for the domestic violence, uh, she was nowhere to be found, uh, which is fine. I think it's whatever. If he gets off, whatever, at least she's not in danger anymore. But um, mm-hmm. since they had no victim, they couldn't proceed with that. They actually charged him with witness intimidation for what he said to me on his way out. And I was able to go to court and testify. And he got quite a, quite a long time in jail, which was a, as happy ending as, as you can, you can hope for. So, 
Abraham, if you had to go back and do this again, would you have done anything differently? And the answer can be can be no. That's fine. You know, uh, I think I would have brought my uh, trauma kit into my apartment first. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, because it's like you know, uh, John always talks about having your uh, tools on your person. And, you know, it's like you, you never really take something, or at least most people never really take something like that into consideration until after the fact. Um, but, you know, she, she, she's alive and mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't the biggest hiccup. But I think maybe I think maybe that's what I would have done different only because as far as acting and getting involved and in, at least hopefully contributing to uh saving her life. I would do that. I would do that again. Yeah. I, th- I think don't beat yourself up too much. You know, we, we talk a lot about, um, especially law enforcement officers having, you know, some sort of IFAC on their person at all times. Listen, you're just Abraham, the, um, the, the certified, uh, inpatient pharmacy tech. You're not, you know, you're, you're, you're not the police. You're not the paramedics. And the fact that you had, taking the time to educate yourself, to get some training on a tourniquet, to have a trauma kit. And most people don't have a trauma kit in the first place. And the fact that, you know, you had it close by enough that you could make a difference, I think is great. Um, I, I don't think if you're chilling in your, in your place at 10 PM, uh, anyone expects you to have an IFAC on your ankle. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. Realistically, I think you did the best you possibly could. And so, uh, this remains an unsolved mystery, um, which is just so maddening to me. Uh, mm-hmm. are, are there are there any lessons that you feel like you learned other than having the IFAC on you? Would you have would you've gone maybe with a different firearm or without a firearm or anything else, or is that all pretty much what you would have done? Uh, yeah, surprisingly, I, I think that's all I would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the uh, the you know as I mentioned before, the acronym that. John always talks about like um, I don't know how maybe it was just from me watching every a video every single day it is just locked into my head and I'm the kind of person where like I need to have a plan otherwise I could at the worst panic or at the uh, at the least you know what they call paralysis of analysis <laughs> yeah absolutely that's yeah. a thing yeah it it really is and so. Um, the, the, the fact, the fact that, uh, I had that acronym in my head and knowing how to proceed with what I wanted to do. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I done everything I needed to do. I, I armed myself just in case there was still threat out there. I didn't see any accomplices and, you know, personally, I didn't have any partners, of course. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, now the injury, of course, was the first and foremost thing. After that, it was just kind of downhill from there. Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I did what what I could have done to the best of my ability. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, we we love uh, John, Steph, Neil, uh, everyone at Active Self Protection. Uh, we love to get that feedback. That's why we do what we do, is so that yeah. people will be prepared. And the fact that that acronym was in your head and and helped you to kind of sort things out and stay calm is great. I'll pass that along to John. I'll be talking to him later today. Uh, Abraham, I want to thank you so much for being prepared. I want to thank you for being um, in, in, in a mindset that helped your neighbor to, to survive a critical incident. I want to thank you for writing in. Again, folks, if you think your story isn't worth telling, uh, 
we will never know unless you write to me and I, and I look over it and we have a talk. So thanks for writing in. Thanks for being on the show. Without people like you, there wouldn't be a show. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. All right, again, that is the end of the main interview. You know what time it is now? It is time for the Gutowski Files, now starring Stephen Gutowski. Stephen is the founder of TheReload.com and the host of the weekly Reload podcast. Stephen, aside from being uh, completely beside yourself with excitement about the Eagles' NFC Championship victory and being in the Super Bowl, how else are you? Because I don't want to hear any more about it. Yeah, well, I think we should spend the next 15 minutes talking (laughs) about the Eagles being in the Super Bowl because that's my main focus right now don't let korea hear that john <laughs> korea life. is not a happy man he is a diehard 49ers fan and he was not not pleased to see his team get kind of well frankly humiliated so yeah it wasn't yeah. good uh yeah uh i was happy if that sure. if anyone's wondering i was very happy about the whole situation very great uh <laughs> pretty amazed that we managed to pull off the turnaround five years uh, going from a Super Bowl winning coach and, and uh, you know, this top prospect quarterback and then uh, managing to pull off getting rid of both of them and hiring a new coach. Pretty much a, a new, complete rebuild. Yeah. I, co- I like your yeah, coach. If he wants to come down matters. to DC, he's welcome to come down to DC and sort we us got out. Real lucky with some of that. I mean, you know, good, good work on the part of the front office, honestly. Only downside of coach Sirianni. Is uh, every time they would say Sirianni on TV, it would activate my Siri on my iPhone, and I got a little irritated. <laughs> so I got to switch to Android, man. So uh, and you are, only get it every five seconds when Google thinks you're talking to it. Yes, or there's an announcer or a coach named um, Bokey Googleman, and it thinks that I'm <laughs> or whatever. Anyway, condolences to the uh, 49ers and Bengals fans. Sorry about that, but there's always next year. This week on the Gutowski Files, we are discussing. Hello. Real oh, quick, well. if anyone has Super Bowl tickets that they don't need, mm-hmm. um, that that just like they happen to have some, uh, I would be willing to take them. Very well. Uh, you, so just so people know, you heard it here, and you could stay with us or stay with Korea. He's right down the street. There you go. He, yeah, he, I should stay with Josh. Come to Arizona. It's a nice to house. Go to the Eagles Super Bowl and stay. John's, at John's got a, John's got a nice pad. He he was he did comment that he was happy at least the fact that he wouldn't blow ten thousand dollars on Super Bowl tickets. If Do you it, think he could uh, like fly me over the stadium and parachute me in? That's not a bad I think idea. That's viable. Yeah, for those of you who do don't it? know, John is a John is a uh, licensed pilot. So. We'll discuss that off air. I think that's something we want to I'd be to willing about. to try it. So just putting that out there, John. Sure. I'm down. I'll mention it. This week, we are talking about a couple of articles over at TheReload.com, one by our friend, Mr. Kotowski, one by contributing editor, Jake Fogelman. Both articles have to do with the state of New Jersey, and both articles have to do with federal judges in recent decisions. Uh, but they're, they're, two, they're two different stories in two different cases. And one of those judges is special for a reason that Stephen will explain. Stephen, t- talk, to, uh, talk to us about what's going on in the Garden State. Yeah, it's been a bad week for New Jersey legislators, at least. Uh, it's only Tuesday, too, when we're <laughs> I mean, filming this. So yeah. uh, two rulings against their gun laws in two days mm-hmm. by, fed, by different federal judges. Uh, the first one, just to sort of recap this, because we've actually talked about this whole concept quite a bit on the the podcast to this point, because New York has done the exact same thing. These are, these are Bruin response laws. Right, these are passed after the landmark ruling in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, where the restrictive gun carry laws in New York were struck down as being subjective and violating the Second Amendment. Uh, that, of course, affected other states that have those same sorts of laws, New Jersey being one of them. And the legislatures there did not like 
being told that they couldn't enact these sorts of restrictions. And mm. so they have attempted to uh, fire back, I guess, at the Supreme Court by passing a number of laws. And chief among them are these sensitive places restrictions that you've seen in New York and New Jersey and you're likely to see very soon in Colorado and perhaps other uh, blue states as well. Or sorry, not Colorado, California. Right. Although Colorado may also do it. Right. Uh, it's a little less certain. California is it's almost, almost a given that they will pass. They tried to pass it last year and failed. Uh, on through emergency requests, but they have enough votes to pass it in the normal way that you pass legislation. So what happened is on Monday, uh, Judge Renee Bumb struck or blocked, issued a temporary restraining order against New Jersey's sensitive places restrictions. This was a law that restricted where you could carry a gun. You know, you can now get a permit to carry in New Jersey and New York and elsewhere. But the response has been, to make it really difficult where you can actually carry your gun, even with that permit. And right. so they put restrictions on so-called sensitive places, such as, um, you know, normal things like government buildings and schools, which are sort of uh, more commonly restricted in other states and have been for a long time. And there's something that the Supreme Court said in Bruin, you can have some sensitive place restrictions, but the problem, the, what they were attempting to make clear is that you, it can't just be everywhere. Yeah, they Thomas Justice Thomas talked about how you can't just say the entire island of Manhattan is a right. sensitive place, uh, but more or less these legislatures have kind of ignored that advice, and so now you're seeing the fruits of that. But uh, you know, so you can perhaps have restrictions in schools and government buildings, but some of these other places like theaters, restaurants, sporting arenas, parks, airports, childcare facilities. Uh, it's not as clear that you can do that. And that's what was struck down. And then uh, in addition to those sort of specific places, you also had New York and now New Jersey trying to restrict carry on publicly accessible private property. So basically businesses, you know, any sort of retail business uh, that a person might carry a gun into traditionally everywhere else in the country, right? Uh, up to this point, even in New York and New Jersey up till now, the rule was that you can carry on private property unless the owner posts a sign to make it clear that that's not allowed. Mm -hmm. uh, in some states, this carries uh, criminal charges if you violate the sign. In others, it's more like a trespassing charge if you don't leave sort of thing. Um, but now, New Jersey and New York have tried to flip that on its head and make it so that you cannot legally carry a gun onto any publicly accessible private property unless the owner posts a sign saying that you can. Which is, and, can I just stop you right there? That I heard about this not, a, not too long ago from one of my friends in New York City, uh, Long Island specifically, and that, that really does rub me the wrong way. They're saying, okay, you, you have to, every business suddenly now has to be aware of this law exists, you know, to make mm -hmm. an intelligent decision which most of them probably don't. Most people outside of our community aren't following this stuff that closely. So that that was just such a preposterous thing on its face, in my humble opinion, as as a non-journalist, folks. I'm just uh, commenting here. Um, the idea that, you, that that's the way they set it up. It was clever. I'll hand them that. It was clever on their part. That way you just sort of take care of 99% of businesses who aren't going to know about this and therefore aren't going to put a sign up saying you can carry in our business. Yeah, it's certainly novel. Right. It's unique. It's something that hadn't been tried before. Although, right. if you remember the Bruin standard, 
sort of inherently a problem because Bruin says that your gun laws have to be rooted in historical tradition right. in order to be constitutional. So the fact that nobody had tried this before, it's kind of an automatic strike against these laws. And that's basically what this judge has found in this case. Um, and so these restrictions are now on hold. New Jersey can't enforce them, including the private property one. And so that that's very similar to what happened in New York uh, with the federal judges in that state or that, you know, oversee that state uh, ruled against New York's laws as well. Uh, and so now New Jersey's law, which came a little bit later than New York's, is is in the same boat. But you also saw another law and perhaps uh, maybe an even more interesting judge because Bum was a was appointed by George W. Bush. This other judge that ruled against New Jersey's, um, they have a law that seeks to allow people to sue gun makers and uh, dealers over the way they market firearms, right. um, trying to uh, sidestep the Federal Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Uh, that says you can't sue gun companies for the criminal acts of third parties. So basically, if somebody uses a Glock to kill someone or shoot somebody illegally, uh, you can't sue Glock over that. The sa- in the That's, same way that you couldn't sue Ford or Chevy for someone running you over or sue Ginsu or Cutco right. for someone stabbing you, right? They're misusing the Yes, product. same idea, uh, same basic concept of like you can still sue gun companies if they produce, for instance – a defective product that still happens uh, actually all the time. You've seen some major lawsuits against, for instance, SIG over mm-hmm. the 320s drop safety issues or uh, Remington over the Remington 700s uh, trigger issues that you've seen lawsuits over these sorts of things sure. that, that aren't precluded by the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. But what New Jersey was trying to do was create a new um, cause of action for gun companies being a quote public nuisance over how they market uh, their guns or sell their guns. And so the gun industry, or at least a, a trade group, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the group that puts on SHOT Show uh, every year and includes all the major manufacturers and dealers of guns, they sued New Jersey over this, saying that it's in violation, you know, direct contrast to the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, and Judge um, Zahid uh, Karashi, I apologize if I've mispronounced it, uh, this judge's name, but he's actually a Biden appointee. Mm -hmm. He ruled in favor of NSSF. He ruled that this New Jersey law is trying to um, allow lawsuits over things that are prevented by the federal law. So it's in conflict. And in those situations where state law and a federal law are in conflict, the federal law is supreme. You know, there's the whole supremacy clause of the mm-hmm. constitution. Unless you're in Colorado. Sorry. Right. Um, you know, there may be, there, there's obviously maybe some, still some uh, controversy over, uh, it, usually you can't use, the federal government can't use local resources to enforce federal law. They can't require that necessarily. And so there's been, uh, issues over that, but you can't do what's what would be called a you know nullification, right? This was a sort of something that was a big deal in, during the lead up to the Civil War, right? The nullification, but either way, um, the federal judge here found against New Jersey and its 
It's law that sought to encourage lawsuits against gun makers. Very good. Well, those things are both very good news in my opinion. And um, I, I, I do have one question for you before we, before we end this uh, segment. You may not be able to answer this. I don't know. Is it possible that some judges, um, they're looking at the kind of the tea leaves or writing on the wall, as it were, and not wanting their decisions to be, you know, reviewed by the Supreme Court or by the appellate courts, and they just go, "Well, this is obviously, this is obviously how this is going to end up." So I'm just going to rule. For example, post Bruin, I'm going to rule in alignment with what Bruin has said. Therefore, I'm not going to have to worry about this thing getting second guess. Is that something that happens? Do you think? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think that is something that happens. I don't think lower court judges want to be overruled, and if they uh, don't see any sort of flexibility in the precedent that was set by the Supreme Court or even by just a higher court in their district, they will not try to, most of the time, will not try to go against that. Uh, In fact, this judge, to be clear, like this isn't even a Second Amendment case necessarily. Um, You know, this doesn't rely on Bruin for its analysis talking about the uh, suing suing the gun maker that that ruling yeah Yeah. right this this case that is about the it's it's actually more about the conflict between federal law and state law because congress has already addressed this issue of whether you can sue gun makers for uh you know just general gun crime Mm -hmm. and uh and congress said no you can't you can sue gun makers if they are if they do something illegal, like if they illegally sold guns to people, right? If Glock was selling guns out of the back of the factory to criminals, then yeah, you could sure. go after them and sue them over the damage caused by that. Or if they were, uh, you know, making false claims in their advertising, like any other business, you know, they're committing some sort of fraud, you could sue them over that. Uh, you know, if Smith and Wesson sells you a defective gun and it goes off when it's not intended to and injures you, you can sue. You can sue them over that, and uh, as, as I mentioned, those things do happen. Yeah, uh, those sorts of su- suits are do occur. So it's not it's not as though you know. Sometimes you get media um, outlets or advocates claiming that this is sort of a total li- liability protection law, and it's not true. I think even the president has actually claimed this. He claimed mm-hmm. there's you know no other industries get this sort of liability protection, and that's just not true. Um, you know uh, the so it's important to understand what the, the federal law actually does and what they're trying to um, do to get around it. You know, this has been an ongoing fight for 30 years, 30 plus years. There was before the PLCIA, which passed in 2004 during the, the W Bush administration, um, there had been an, a concerted effort to file essentially frivolous lawsuits on the, on these grounds that, uh, you had you had mayors, you had a lot of cities were trying to sue gun makers over, uh, you know, claims that they should be held liable for guns being, you know, the, the guns they make being recovered in at crime scenes. And, you know, they these were often thrown out or they were always thrown out, essentially. They never won on those cases. But that what the idea wasn't necessarily to win the case. It was to tie up the gun companies in court and make them have to fight these frivolous suits and expend resources. Uh, yeah. Spend money. Exactly. And so the law was created to stop that whole phenomenon uh, because um, Congress believed these were intentionally frivolous and they were intended to, you know, the way that I just described. And so that's why they passed this law to make it even easier to get these ca- sorts of cases tossed out. Now you, people probably remember 
that Remington recently settled with the Sandy Hook families or some of the Sandy Hook families. Right. Or I should say Remington's insurers, the insurers of the now defunct Remington Arms Company. So Remington went bankrupt during this this lawsuit over uh really over unrelated reasons. They had a lot of issues with their the company and their the guns and they had made a lot of mistakes business wise. But uh, and I'm sure the lawsuit may have had some impact on on the bankruptcy filing as well. It did, you know, they went on further than people expected it to because of the PLCAA. Um, they had, there was sort of a novel claim in there about um, advertising and how the advertising of the Bushmaster rifle that ended up being used in the Sandy Hook shooting was somehow responsible for what had happened. And this, this never actually got to the merits of the case, but it got far enough. Uh, you know, it wasn't immediately thrown out. They sort of allowed the the Massachusetts or sort of, I can't recall if it was Massachusetts or Connecticut, but the Supreme Court, the state Supreme Court said, you can go through with this challenge. You can at least make this claim. And they're not state. In fact, I believe they said it would be hard to prove on the merits, but you can. But the big legal ruling in that case that let it get to the point where a settlement happened was that the court threw out most of the claims because they had, they had other claims. Like they claim that the AR 15 shouldn't be sold to civilians because it's a military weapon. And right. it's uh it's, you know, irresponsible of the company to uh, entrust it to civilians. And, you know, the claims like that, you're more traditional sort of what you hear from gun control advocate type claims. Um, but those got tossed. And instead it was this claim over irresponsible marketing towards unstable young men uh, was somehow supposed to be responsible for what happened at Sandy Hook, even though there was no evidence that the shooter had seen the marketing and he wasn't actually the one who bought the gun. He, his mother bought the gun and he murdered his mother to take the yeah, gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah just uh, yeah, just to give you some insight into that case, but it did end up settling because it got it was allowed to move forward procedurally. It never got to the point where there was a ruling on the, the merits of the claim or, you know, the test against the PLCAA at that point. But the insurers were dealing with potential liability of that. And the company didn't exist anymore to say, we're going to keep fighting this. So they settled. And this was this created um, a lot of momentum for these sorts of lawsuits and to pass laws to try and take advantage of this sort of marketing loophole idea marketing you know as a form of you pass state law that says you can't market guns in a certain way and if the company violates that state law then it's not protected by the plcaa that's the concept behind what they're trying to do and now this federal judge has said that doesn't work this is you're clearly just trying to you're clearly just violating the these legal protections from the federal law and so it can't stand he also interestingly even though this didn't have to do with Bruin, he does uh, at one point suggest that there might actually be even more problems with this law beyond what he's ruled on. He says, uh, quote, the court additionally has concerns as to whether this New Jersey law can survive on constitutional grounds. However, because the court finds NSSF is likely to succeed on the merits of its preemption argument, uh, you know, the argument over the federal law, the court need not address the constitutional issues at this time. So he's sort of also implying that this probably wouldn't withstand the Bruins test. 
as well, but it didn't even get to that point because it was already in conflict with the federal law. That is our time. Folks, do me a favor right now, as soon as you're done listening to this, head on over to thereload.com. That's thereload.com. And have a look. If you haven't already, consider getting a membership. Stephen does depend on his membership dues to fund his important work. He does not have a day job. This is all that he does. And now he has employees, plural. Uh, you have a new writer over there or a newer writer, it looks like. I saw a new face on the website. We have a couple of contributors uh, every so often outside of me and Jake. So okay. I'm hoping to expand in the coming year if we can if we can get membership up and hopefully open up some new lines of revenue, perhaps. Uh, you know, we, we I think we could do a lot more. There's a, sure. you know, we're limited in what we can do right now with the resources we have, but uh, hopefully that'll that'll change as we continue to grow. Kind of like this. I don't think anyone else is doing what we're doing here at the Ask Podcast. Not exactly anyway. And yeah. I don't know of any other organization. Um, there's there's gun rights groups that have newsletters. You know what I mean? But I don't know of any other actual media source who's doing what the reload is doing. So it's important that we keep him not just afloat, but uh, get enough membership dues in there that he can start to grow, hire more people and expand. Uh, you can also catch Stephen occasionally on CNN uh, as their resident expert on gun related things. Uh, unfortunately, they kind of only call him when there's a crisis or an emergency. So hopefully that'll we'll get more uh, of him yeah. talking about general firearm stuff and not just They've mass been- shootings. They've been pretty good. I've had a very good time, relationship with them so far, and and you know as as that keeps uh, maturing too, I, I hope to have a, spend even more time on on CNN's air. It's, I've, I've been very happy thus far. Yeah, absolutely. And it. as I said before, for those of you who don't like CNN or, or you know or those other networks that aren't one hundred percent pro two A or whatever, uh, understand that they're there, and we might as well have somebody a, a voice of reason who is pro 2A on there discussing these issues and educating folks who otherwise wouldn't hear uh, the voice of reason as it comes to this stuff. So I'm stoked that he's over there. Stephen, once again, thank you for being here, and I'll see you next week. Absolutely. Hey, friends, this is John Correa. If you like the podcast, if it is bringing you value, do me a favor and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. 